Good morning and welcome to Celebration Church. Glad that you're all here with us today as well as all our campuses that are watching via satellite. I'd like everybody at Celebration Campuses to stand together as the one thing we all do together as a people of faith is recite the Apostles' Creed. This is who we are. This is what we believe here at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the Creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day He rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. I want to speak to you about a point of culture this morning uh, in our message. Now, when I talk about culture, Christian culture, it's different than the culture in which we live in, in the world. Jesus taught us that we're in the world, but we're not really of the world. As Christians, we live in a world within a world, in a kingdom within kingdoms, in a nation within nations. Jesus told us in the Gospel of John, he says, if you belonged to the world... It would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. In Hebrews we read, For here, on this earth, we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. The truth is, while we live here, we really don't belong here. We have been transformed by God's love and actually translated by God's love and that we're not really in the same place where we were before as we follow Christ. We read about it in Ephesians. Paul writes, he says, as for you guys, he says, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of this air, talking about Satan, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time. We all were like this, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were, by nature, objects of wrath. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. For it's by grace that you have been saved. I mean, this is a significant statement here. As I've said to you many times, Christianity is unlike any other religion in the world. True Christianity. In that every other religion in the world, people are trying to get to a state of grace on the inside by doing things right on the outside. And they struggle and they discipline themselves and they study and they meditate and they pray and they discipline and they're doing everything. They might chant, they might do whatever it takes trying to get to a place of a grace experience with God. It doesn't work, by the way. 
People spend their entire lives doing this, struggling desperately trying to find God. Christianity, true Christianity is exactly the opposite. You start out with, boom, God's grace touches you and transforms you on the inside. That's what he says. Man, God's love is so demonstrated in that while we were yet sinners, while we were at our worst, Christ died for us and touches us. And by faith, we are born again and we have new life on the inside of us. So we start out changed on the inside. Then we work out that which God has worked in us. In other words, when we are striving to be good and do good things, it's not so that we can earn God's favor. We already have God's favor. It's not that so we can earn God's forgiveness. We already have God's forgiveness because of what Christ did on the cross for us. It's that we are working out what God has done inside of us. It's completely different. So he talks about this, and then next, next thing he says, and then God raised us up with Christ. In a sense, when Christ was raised from the dead, we were raised from the dead. This is when this made, was made possible for us, when Jesus came out of that tomb on that Easter Sunday. And seated us, the Bible says, with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In a real sense, part of us doesn't live here. We have been translated and seated in the heavenly realms with Christ. Hard to understand. But it's like Christ lives within us, okay? We have Christ in our heart. Well, he's not physically in your heart. He is actually in heaven, but yet there's a part of him that lives within us. And the same, believe it or not, is reverse. We're not quite there yet, but part of us lives with him in the heavenly realms. That's why, you know, as, as you grow in faith, it starts to be dawn on you, you know? We don't really belong here. You know how you don't quite fit in? You know, you try to be nice to people and stuff at work and with your family and stuff like that uh, that maybe hasn't been in a place of real faith. And while you can be nice and and polite and all that kind of stuff and relate to, and something inside of you just lets you know, I don't quite fit in. I tell you what, they sense it. (laughs) They look at you and go, you know, what's wrong with these guys? You know, it's because part of us, we're not really here anymore. It's like, it's an amazing thing. And, and it's, it's what we experience when we come together in, in our campuses and we start worshiping God and we celebrating God. There's something so familiar about it, yet so new at the same time. What is it? It's we're worshiping God, but yet there's a part of us that's just already part with Him. It's truly a wonderful experience. And, and why would God do all this? Why would God take a bunch of sinners and losers and give us his grace right from the start and the get-go and change us on the inside when we hadn't done anything? Why would he bless us? Why would we be raised to a place of walking with Christ in such a glorious way? Well, he tells us why in the next phrase. He says, God did this in order that in the coming ages, in other words, throughout eternity... He did all this. He's doing what he's doing in your life right now so that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ. He's basically wanting to so bless you that he can show you off throughout eternity. You see, we are actually in the middle of the greatest halftime in the history of the universe. I mean, there's been this big uh, rebellion in heaven. Satan comes along. He gets a third of the angels to rebel against God, which really, man, you got to, that's pretty impressive. I mean, it's one thing for him to fool us. You know, we're all kind of, you know, we live in a world that doesn't quite get it and we don't see God and we don't, nobody's flying around and stuff. We live in a world of pain and suffering and sin. You know, one thing to fool us. But can you imagine going to heaven where everything is perfect? 
and convincing a third of them, this isn't quite right. Something's still not quite right. I think we could do this better on our own. You got to hand it to the devil. The dude is slick. When you get a third of heaven in heaven going, yeah, I guess this place isn't so great after all. I mean, ho-chi mama, how do you pull that off? Well, you do it by getting people to question. You know, God, does God really love us? Does God really care? So anyway, they come and they say, well, we can take over. And they, they have this big rebellion. And, and God just flicks them all like, like a booger, you know, and just down to earth they go. And, and, uh, and, and think about it. People say, well, he's in, the devil's in hell. No, he's not. He still hasn't been there. That's coming. There's a judgment day coming when all this will be wrapped up. We are in the greatest half time in eternity. And why? Why is God paused? Right in the middle of this big fight, God comes down to earth. He pushes back the water, turns on the lights, make things grow, and makes people. And then we blow it. I'm sure he knew we'd blow it, but just the environment that we're in. But yet, in the midst of our sins and our failures, God has demonstrated and is continuing to demonstrate his love. And the reason he is doing this is so that this kind of rebellion will never ever happen again. This will not happen again. Why? Because if anybody ever comes along and starts doubting, does God really love? He's going to point at you. He's going to say, look at Gunger. (laughs) He took a loser and made something out of his life. He forgave me. He forgave you. That's why God delights in doing miracles in your life. Delights in blessing you. I promise you, as people stood, I don't know what you guys did in the other campuses, but here Pastor Lathan had people stand for prayer that were in need this morning. I'm telling you, a lot of people stood up. You need to know something. God wants to answer your prayers more than you want them answered. He wants to move in your life more than you want him to. And next Sunday, I'm going to be talking about how you can get to a better place where you can start experiencing more of God in your life but God wants to do this stuff why he loves to show off you know say why doesn't God do big yo mama miracles you know it doesn't really do much for people and on our Wednesday night Bible studies if if, if you haven't been a part of that you can you can check that out but on our Wednesday night Bible studies we've been studying uh the uh book of Exodus where God did all these incredible miracles and the water you know spread and you know all these plagues came and all these incredible but it didn't do anything it didn't change these people's hearts I mean, it's amazing. It's amazing. The children of Israel, you would think if seeing big miracles on the outside would change people, that they would have been changed. Right? I mean, they saw stuff you and I pay big money to see. We pay just to see it in a movie. Special effects. I mean, this actually happened. And it didn't change them one bit. In fact, when Moses went up into the mountain to get the Ten Commandments, he was gone for 40 days. Within 40 days, these people went from experiencing God and seeing all these miracles and coming out of Egypt. And in 40 days, by the time Moses came down, they had made a cow out of gold. And they're worshiping a cow. Saying, oh, suck it to me cow, suck it to me cow, we love you. Hullabala, hullabala, hullabala. And they're dancing around the cow naked. Worshiping a stupid cow. Now we're from Wisconsin. You don't worship cows. <laughs> How do you do that in 40 days? Good Lord. If I'm gone for 40 days, y'all come back, y'all dancing naked around a cow. I'm going to shoot y'all. <laughs> Pastor goes psycho. Kills naked cow worshipers. Good grief, people. 
How do you do that? Why? Because doing all this big stuff on the outside, it doesn't change people. What God delights is changing people on the inside and doing miracles in your life. Becoming real to you and that's what changes people. So while we live here, we don't really belong here. We're citizens of a different country. We are subjects of a different kingdom. And as such, we live by a different standard. We are supposed to be living by a Christian culture that is unlike any other culture in the world. You see, in this world, if somebody hurts you, you hurt them back. But not in the world we come from. In this world, if somebody hates you, you hate them back. But not in the world that we come from. In this world, if you want to get ahead and you want to be financially successful, you batten down the hatches and you hang on to what you got and you hoard as much as you possibly can, but not in the world we come from. The world we come from, we give and it will be freely given back to us. We live in a different world, make no mistake. We really don't belong here. We are just passing through. We belong to a better world and we're trying to get as many people as we can to leave this present world and join us on our journey. That's what this is about. Now one thing is clear in Christian teaching. It is we who should be affecting this world and not this world that should be affecting us. Sadly, one of the great heartbreaks of American Christianity, as you look at it by and large, it is the broken, sinful world that has affected us and we have failed to affect them. Many Christians think like this world. They set their values in accordance with this world's values. They generally act, behave, and think like the pagans with whom we live. And then we wonder, why don't we see more miracles? We need to change the way we think. We need to change the way we behave. We need to start addressing and adhering to our Christian culture more than the culture that we live in. If we're truly going to be the shining light on a hill that Jesus intends for us to be, we're going to have to be more spiritual than carnal, more godly than ungodly, and behave more like citizens of heaven than citizens of this earthly country. Now at Celebration Church, we have a very simple slogan that's intended to keep us on track as people from this other world. It's a very simple phrase. It says, be real, belong, and become. These are the principles of from our home world. You see, we're just aliens, the Bible teaches. And we're illegal aliens, quite frankly. The world hates us. <laughs> They're not really crazy about us. But man, it's okay. We are just passing through. Be real, belong, become. Now become. This world says, don't become. Live for yourself. Become your own person with your own rights. Satisfy your own desires. Do what you want to do. And don't let anybody else tell you otherwise. But the world we come from says, die to yourself. And become all that God wants you to be. It's a whole different culture. It's a whole different system. It's a whole different value set, man. We don't live for us. We're supposed to be dying to us. Putting aside selfishness. And living for God. And letting God become all that he wants to in our lives. Uh, we talked about masculinity at the beginning. Really, to me... The ultimate definition of true masculinity are as men who don't live for themselves, but live for others. It is the very definition of a hero. A hero is a man who runs into a burning building when everybody else is running away. A hero is a man who steps out and takes a bullet for somebody else. 
A hero is a man who puts himself in great danger, taking no concern for himself because he's more concerned about others. That is a man. That's the kind of men we need in our homes. That's the kind of men we need in our churches. And for 30, 40 years in this country, ever since the feminist revolution, and still to this day, I get women all the time, and everybody's always asked me, well, the Bible says women should submit. What about that? How can that be? How can I be? I'll tell you how it can be, because a woman would have no problem submitting to a man that loves her more than he loves himself. Hard to submit to a man who's a big, fat, stinking jerk. Thank you for not saying amen, ladies. See, I told you. Not only are we to become all God wants us to become, we're supposed to belong. The world says, don't be a slave to anybody. Don't let anybody tell you what to do. But our world says, we are servants of Christ, dedicated to serving others more than ourselves. And be real. (laughs) There's the big one. This world says, man, don't be real. Keep up appearances. Never let them see you sweat. That's what they say in the underarm commercial, right? Never let them see you sweat. Whatever you do, never look weak. Keep up appearances. Fake it till you make it. Right? But our world says, be transparent. Pray for each other's needs. And openly admit your faults and weaknesses. And that is the point of culture I want to focus on this morning. The Bible tells us this in James. Therefore, confess your sins to each other. And pray for each other. Why? So that you may be healed. I'm convinced why we don't see more healing in miracles is because we don't do this. Why so many people are in a state of need and needing God to move in their lives and there seems to be a hindrance. Why doesn't it happen? Because we don't do this. He says do this. So why? Why should you do this? So that you can be healed. Why? Because this is absolutely important. It is essential for people of faith in a culture of faith. We have got to be able to confess our faults to one another. To confess our sins to each other. Then we can pray for each other. The Bible says the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. But in the culture which we live in, in the world, that is, that we shouldn't be living in, boy, don't do that. Don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody your business. Nobody needs to know your business. If you're struggling, don't tell anybody. If you're being tempted, don't admit that to anybody. If you're having problems, don't, don't do that. But the world we come from says the other. It is imperative if we're truly going to be citizens of heaven. To be open, to be transparent. I try to be as open and transparent with you as I can. Sometimes I'm probably a little too open and transparent. But man, if I'm hurting, you know about it. If I'm struggling, I just tell you. If I'm down in the dumps, I'll admit it from the pulpit. Why? So that I can be healed, you see. It would be easy to just fake it. Oh, don't tell them, you know, just pretend everything's okay. I hate that. I just, I just hate plastic Christianity. Seen it all my life. Just makes me want to hurl. It's disgusting. Everybody pretending everything's okay. Everything's fine. Yeah, everything's fine. Everything's fine. Then you find out their lives are falling apart. We need to develop an atmosphere where people feel safe enough to fail. 
Why don't people do this? Why are people so reticent to admitting their faults and confessing their sins? Because we don't feel safe. What will they think? What will they think? And I'll tell you what, you need to be more concerned about what God thinks than what people think. But we have to create an environment where people can feel safe enough. We're worried. Will they, will they reject us? Will they throw us out? Will they have nothing to do with us? Will they ostracize us? Will they mark us as failures? We've got to change that culture. If we're truly going to grow into the kind of church, be the kind of people God wants us to be. The one thing that should mark Celebration Church is, man, you can be real there. This is a place you can fail and you are not marked and humiliated. But instead you are encouraged to grow and succeed. We need to be able to confess our faults and our struggles to each other in a positive way. Now, I talked about this in the first service. Uh, You know, back in the 80s, there was this thing going around churches for a while where they would encourage people to confess their faults to each other by admitting to someone if you had a problem with them. I don't think that's what this is talking about. And that wasn't very helpful. I mean, that would be like me coming up to you saying, you know, I want to apologize, but I think you're a big, fat, stinking jerk. <laughs> really? You know, that, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about if you're really struggling in your heart with sins and, and, and things, to be able to go to someone who can help you and be open and transparent with them. I talked about this a few weeks ago, and I'll bring it up again. Couples need to quit living on a desert island by themselves, playing survivor, outlast, outwit, outsurvive. See who can vote who off the island. Don't tell anybody our problems. Don't tell anybody. It's just us, us two. I'm just amazed. I, I promise you, there are thousands of people across this country, if not tens of thousands, who will be learning today that they're getting, getting, getting a divorce. Their, their families are learning today. Their church is learning today for the first time. And they, are, they will all be shocked. They had, you guys have seen it. They're going along. Everything's fine, 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 fine. All of a sudden, we're getting a divorce. What? I didn't even know you irritated each other. Why is that? We don't tell anybody our stuff. We don't tell anybody. We're just on the island. <laughs> and couples, I mean, I know, because I, Deb and I, we do this. Couples fight about the stupidest things on earth. Things that are so stupid that if you were to admit this morning what you two were fighting about before you came into church, you'd be embarrassed to tears. <laughs> arguing about the dumbest thing. Me and the redhead, we'll argue about some of the stupidest thing on earth. <laughs> but you know what? We'll talk to other people about it. Now, we were arguing about that stupid thing. What do you think about that? And then by the time you start saying it, you realize how stupid it was. And, oh, I, guess, I guess it was kind of dumb. Why? Because we're trying to be transparent. There's healing that comes in being transparent. But no, 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 no. Nobody can know. Nobody can know. And I promise you, the one who's the most guilty is the one who really doesn't want anybody else to know. Come on. Someone, woman's acting in a bad way and the husband says, well, we ought to share this. with No, I don't want to share it. Anybody should know our business. Of course, she doesn't want him to know. Some guy's sitting up till three in the morning looking at Porn. His wife says, well, I think we need to talk to our friends. Somehow, oh, no, nobody needs to know our business. Of course, he doesn't want anybody to know. And you quit letting people, your husband or your wife, bully you around in this sense. This is pure nonsense. In the Christian community, we should be living in such a way that we can share with others our struggles. Because if you don't, I'm telling you, you will fail. 
you will fall. And it doesn't have to be just married couples. If you're a single person and you're just living off on your own little world, nobody knows your problems, nobody knows your struggles, nobody... When was the last time you talked to anybody and told them about your deepest fears, your deepest insecurities, your biggest temptations and struggles? I'll bet you, for some of you, you can't even think of a time you did that. We have got to change that culture. Why? So we can be healed. Confess your faults to one another. Confess your sins to one another. But how do you do that? You just don't start today running up to somebody who doesn't know you. You need to be able to start building relationships with people. Every couple, every couple, if you're going to make this and survive this as a married couple, particularly in today's culture, you have got to befriend at least another couple or two that you can honestly share your fights with. I tell you, you do that, it'll change your life. Well, I don't want anybody to know we fight. Guess what? We already know. How many of you are married? You fight. (laughs) Reality check, people. Let's quit living on the island. That is why today we are having at our campuses tables and booths and stuff promoting our life groups. What is a life group? It's just a group of people that gathers around all kinds of different activities. We don't really care what it is. Maybe something that you like to do. Maybe some fun thing. Maybe it's horseback riding. Maybe it's this, that. I don't know what all the different groups are. But you look at it and you say, yeah, I'd like to be part of this group. You get together, some of them once a week, some once a month. But the whole purpose, the whole idea of it is so they can get off the island and start connecting with other people and develop some friendships, real friendships. Not the kind where you just smile and pretend everything's okay when you know it's not. That's plastic, phony baloney, and I reject it wholeheartedly. It is time for us to totally identify with our culture from heaven. A culture of openness. A culture of vulnerability. But all of that happens in a culture of safety. And you can't do that if you don't know people. Well, I know people. I know that guy over there. I don't know his name, but I say hi. That's not knowing them. Say, well, I, I got friends that I know out there. They don't ever go to church. I'm talking about you need to know people in your faith community. Let me encourage you, all the campus, after the service today, go out and look at some of these opportunities. Make the decision. We're going to quit living on the island. No more island, man. <laughs> We're moving to the mainland, man. I wish I had one of those dreadlock hats, you know. You could... <laughs> Jamaica, man. You ever been to Jamaica? You notice how many of them are stoned? <laughs> That's what happens when you're stuck on an island. <laughs> Welcome to the island, man. Get me off, get me off, get me off! Let's be the different people God has called us to be. Let's be transformed. Let's be translated. Let's start living as citizens of heaven. All right. I'm going to ask our ushers at this time to come forward and get ready to serve communion. Our musicians can come back and get ready to play for our closing service.
Well, let me ask you this morning, where are you at in the kingdom of heaven? Maybe you've gone to church all your life. Maybe you've gone to Celebration Church for a year or two. But have you really become part of the kingdom of God? Or are you just visiting the kingdom? Some people are kind of like that. They like coming. They like getting around it. They like the culture. It's kind of like visiting, you know, a foreign country. It's fun to travel. I do a lot of traveling. It's nice. I don't actually belong to that country. Maybe you've been that way around faith. You've danced around it, but you've never really become part of the kingdom. say, well, how do you get there? You do that by truly surrendering your heart to Christ. So I'm working on it. No, no, no. You don't work it from the outside in. It starts on the inside and then works out. say, well, how's that possible? I'm, I'm... I'm, I've got a lot of sins. I've done a lot of bad things. You know, how can I just start like... That's the power of the cross. That's why Jesus died on the cross. That's what we're celebrating during, during communion. His body was broken. His blood was shed so that we could have forgiveness of sins. That we could have eternal life. You cannot earn it. You cannot buy it. Without Christ, you are hopelessly lost. But if you will trust Him, you can be transformed, translated, get a new passport, belong to a new kingdom. You can have your sins forgiven. Let God's love and grace start working on the inside of you and start working out throughout your entire life. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer this morning. If you've never truly surrendered your life to Christ, I'm going to invite everybody to pray this prayer and and ask you to pray this along with us. If you'll mean this from the bottom of your heart, you can begin your life of faith this morning. You can become part of God's kingdom this morning. Let's pray together. Say, Dear Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. That you love me so much. You went to the cross. And you took my punishment. I ask you to come into my life. And to forgive me of my sins. I now surrender to you. Amen.